0: Thank you. Thank you so much. You may be seated. So honored to be here uh, in this great house, and uh, I'm really blessed. I want to give honor to whom honor is due, and Pastor Tim and his wife, Alicia, uh, as Pastor Tom was mentioning earlier, uh, known them for 20 years. I know I only look like I'm 17, but... um, (laughs) Known them, and uh, I I just, I, I love them so much. Alicia's one of the sweetest ladies I've ever known. And then Pastor Tim, such a man of integrity, character, faithfulness, and that man can just flat out teach the word. That's all I'm saying. That man, he is incredible, all right, and honored to know him and really humbled to have this opportunity uh, to be trusted to present the word of God to you today and so I don't take that lightly and I make sure I let him know I understand uh, because he loves you he cares for you deeply and I'm honored to know him and so I want to give honor to him also honor to my friend Pastor Tom his wife Tricia and of course uh, Ryan Fraser, and then the queen all right the queen my wife Elizabeth is here and I want to honor her Queen Elizabeth whether for her couldn't be all that I am. And so uh, just to tell you a little bit about myself, um, I grew up in, in church. I, actually, I was born saved. <laughs> you say, uh, that's not the theology Pastor Tim taught us. Well, I just want to tell you, I, I was born, uh, you were, my parents were Christians, and so I was born into church. And the church we grew up in was very uh, passionate. Uh, very, very passionate. Um, In fact, you never knew what was going to happen at church. And so I came, and church was entertainment growing up at first because uh, you were either, you'd see someone run or you'd see someone get run over. I mean, one of the two were going to (laughs) happen at every service. And you just, as a kid, you're just like, (laughs) what's going to happen? And and so uh, growing up, I I remember it was a very legalistic uh, church they had a lot of rules, and uh, we just couldn't do anything. I mean, men couldn't have facial hair, and women couldn't wear pants or makeup or any of that. We were an ugly church, too. You know, I'm just kidding. Um, but we had a—it um, was just very, very, very interesting. And I remember, I remember having um, this deal because I couldn't do anything. We couldn't go to the movies, bowling alleys, none of that stuff. So I would be like, what are we going to do? So I'd play church. So I would take all my sister's dolls, and I'd line them all up from Barbie and Ken and Curious George and Cabbage Patch Kids and all, i just line them all up and I was going to be like my pastor and I would just go and and preach and I came from a church where they preached, right? And it was, he'd get up there and the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want He making me the light, right? So, so I, so I'd get up there and I'm preaching my heart out to these animals. And they were so dead. They didn't move. They didn't say, thank you, Jesus. So I'd get to the end and I'd give an altar call and I'd have to pick them up. Yes, I want Jesus. I picked up Curious George. George, repeat after me. Father God, Father God, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me my sins. Then I say, and I pray over him to be set free, healed and delivered. I lay hands on him, make him shake, fall on the ground. And I say, pick him up, pick him up, pick him up. <laughs> then I just felt an unction from God come over me to give Barbie and Ken a word from the Lord. <laughs> Stand up, Barbie, Ken, for yea, thus saith the Lord God over your marriage. I'd speak over their marriage. And I say, it's time for you to be baptized. You ready to be baptized? I take them to the bathroom, fill up the bathtub with water, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. So I grew up playing church. It was fun. I had a great time. My parents were uh, very active in ministry my whole life. My dad being a musician, the whole family really was talented. Uh, my cousins, everybody. And my family, we would um, go and we'd sing at schools, nursing homes, churches, all that kind of stuff. And I would stand up there because I was cute. But they never turned my mic on because I couldn't sing. So they would literally, they tell the sound man, keep his mic off. So I'd be up there just, just thinking I'm singing, but I was awful. And we, I remember having family rehearsals, and during the rehearsals, I'm really trying to learn the song, and they're like, son, no, shh, <laughs> shh, be quiet, just sit there, don't sing. And, uh, and so I remember, um, you know, going through uh, this time of my life and realizing, um, God, I really want to have a talent. I want to be able to sing. I want to be able to do something. And I remember coming into my high school years and uh, I, I thought, okay, well, I'll be an actor. I'm going to be like Denzel Washington. So I became a thespian, started acting in school, and um, th- there came a time to do a musical. And this musical is going to be a big musical, and all of these big wigs are going to be coming because I, I, I grew up in upstate New York, and these big wigs were going to be coming from New York City and, and possibly allowing us to do this production and Broadway. So I really wanted to be in this, but you had to be able to sing. And at this point, uh, no. So I, I remember praying, God, give me a voice. If you give me a voice, God, I'll use it for your glory. And I remember practicing Christmas songs. Because everybody can sing Christmas songs, right? It's like everybody sounds good singing. So I practice singing Christmas carols and I go in for the audition. I sing at the audition. The next day I'm really excited. I run to see if I made into the production. And I looked down and said, Cinderella. And he said, Prince Charming, Bernard Scott. I was so happy. I mean, I got the lead male role in this musical. So I go home to tell my parents, and I tell them, hey, we're doing this musical, and I got the lead male role. And and, and, and I'm Prince Charming, and they were like, you got to sing? I said, yes, I do. I got to sing. And they're like, is it a comedy? (laughs) You know, like... And so I, I remember um, going, and it was ended up being great. They heard me sing. They couldn't believe it. And then uh, they started, because they snuck in the first night. The other nights after they heard me, they invited, like, the whole neighborhood and family <laughs> came here. I'm like, okay, you kept people from hearing me before. Now you want everybody to hear me. And so I remember um, after the week was over, they were wanting a place to have the cast party. And <laughs> the, the cast party, my hand shot up and volunteered my home to do a cast party. Now, at this point in time, I was, after I, you know, you ever do something and then you go, oops, did I do that? That was one of the moments because I realized I grew up in a holy home. And my mama wouldn't go have nobody coming over having a party up in her house. And so I remember, mom, um, you know, I gave her a kiss, you know, I always got to work up to asking the big question. I said, mom, um, can we have a party over here? And she's like, "Uh uh-uh, no, oh, no, 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 we have no party over here. And I said, mom, please, I I already committed it. You what? Um, and so she laid down the rules: no secular music, no this that. and that. I'm like, well, mom, please, can we can we at least play the secular music down in the basement? We ain't playing no devil music in this house. And I said, in the basement, at least just at least in the basement, they gotta have something they can do. And so she said, well, the basement is close to hell. All right, you can play it down there. <laughs> so, so it was very interesting. And uh, well, the, as as the the party is proceeding. There's a hundred so people there. And and I remember my dad just, that's one of those moments you just hope your parents don't embarrass you. And he pulled out his guitar. And all my parents knew were gospels and spirituals. Nothing wrong with them. Love them to death. But it just didn't fit this crowd. And my dad starts playing. And I'm like, oh, no. But something miraculous happened. They all start crowding around listening to my dad. So then my mom starts singing. I'm like, oh, God. Now, my mom was a fireball. So they, she starts singing, and my dad starts singing. Next thing you know, no one's in the basement. Everyone is crowded around in every crevice of the, of the home listening in to my parents sing, uh, and, and I'm like, I can't believe this is happening at a high school party. And next thing you know, my friends, my peers, started lifting their hands singing songs that they heard when they were at kids' camp when they were little. My dad playing by ear starts picking it up, and, and I'm like, something is happening right now. And so my mom picked up on that, and she looks over at me and she says, Son, sing. Sing something. You told me my whole life to be quiet. Don't sing. Now you want me to sing in front of all my peers. She says, Sing something. And I, I, I remember at that moment on the spot, I was trying to think. The first song that came to me was a song by a group called The Winans, it's called Tomorrow. So I began to sing. Jesus said, here I stand. Won't you please let me in? And you said, I will tomorrow. Jesus said, I am he who supplies all your needs. And you said, I know, but tomorrow... Oh, tomorrow, tomorrow is not promised. Won't you choose the Lord today? Oh, please, don't just turn and walk away. Tomorrow, tomorrow is not promised. Won't you choose the Lord today? For tomorrow very well might be too late. <laughs> Sang that song, and I look across the room, and everybody's crying. Just all my peers are like. <laughs> Didn't know what to happen. Of course, my mom said, bring them home, son. Bring them home. Bring them to Jesus. Bring them to Jesus. It was like, hey, you got tears? It's time for an altar call, son. Give it to him." I got introduced to the ministry. So I gave an altar call. And 69 of my friends gave their life to Jesus that day at a high school party. <laughs> and... Uh, so I called my pastor. I'm like, what do I do? I got all these kids that got saved. He said, well, I'll open up the church building. You guys can use it. And I'm like, what am I going to do? He says, have church. So I grew up my whole life playing church, and I was for real. He gave me a sermon, and I tried to break it down <laughs> like my pastor. The Lord is my shepherd. With teenagers, right? <laughs> we went from 70 people that first night, and within three months, I had 300 coming. And uh, I was a high schooler. My pastor looks at me, and he says, you need to go to Bible school. And I said, what's that? He said, you going? And I went, and that's where I met Pastor Tim. And uh, 20-something years ago, 1991, I met him, and um, it's pretty neat to now be standing and seeing all that God has done right here in Ocala. And I know that from the time that I was born, I was dedicated from the womb. God had a plan for my life. And knowing that, the enemy wanted to stop it. He wanted to stop it. So at a very young age, from people right in the house of God, I was abused. I was sexually abused for a number of years in church. And and I remember it created this brokenness in me, this thing that the enemy wanted to turn for bad. But instead of me becoming a statistic, I can stand here and say that I'm a trooper and I've won and I've overcome. And God has a plan for my life. I remember driving down the highway going 70 miles an hour. I had four passengers in the car with me at the age of 17. And it was snow on the ground. And as we're driving, I fell asleep at the wheel going 70 miles an hour and hit a telephone pole. Telephone pole had transformers on top of it, came crashing down, stopped just inches above the car. Live wires draped all over. All four of us, all five of us walked out of the vehicle without even a bruise or scratch or anything. Walked away from that completely. I know the enemy had a plan, but God... God, 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 God has a plan. So I stand here before you today, you know, it may have started off planned church, but I realize there are some powerful things that have happened in in my life, and I'm very thankful and honored to stand before you to present the word. And I'm going to ask today, I'm going to give you permission to talk back to this preacher. You can say, you can say, amen. You can say, "Uh uh-huh, oh me, that's all right. And if you can't say nothing, just go, mm. (laughs) mm. And I'll receive that and we'll have fun. And I'm going to ask you to do one thing, help me out this morning by standing on your feet as I read this opening portion of scripture. And the reason why I ask you to do that is in this world today, there's a lot of chaos, a lot of crazy things, and a lot of people standing for a lot of things. And I believe that the word is worthy of being standing for. And I know this, that what what you honor, you make room for. And so I think it's appropriate that we honor his word so that we can make room for it. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 7 and 8, it says this. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would give me the words to say. Jesus, that um, through your grace today, we would have the ears to hear what your spirit is saying to the church. May there be an open heaven over this place as you make deposits to continue to transform us into who you created and redeemed us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. My message today is entitled, come away with me. Come away with me. There's a song by Nora Jones that kind of inspired the title, but I want to talk about solitude because dads, uh, today, um, in this world, we are uh, trained to strive, to work, to go after it, to build, and in that, there are times where we get weary, and out of our weariness because we're so trained and ingrained to keep going, we keep going and we keep going and we keep going. And we don't take advantage of this one thing that God has given us, which is solitude. And I want to kind of explain this to you, and I want to help you. So in order to do that, I have to go all the way back to the book of Genesis, all the way to the beginning, where God was creating. And while he was creating, he was doing this amazing thing, and speaking stuff into existence. Can you imagine having that ability just to say "and be? Yes. And it was. Amen. And so he began to create, and everything he created, he created from something. It all had a source. So you know when he uh, sp- created fish, he spoke to the water, and he said, "Let the waters bring forth fish." So when you take a fish out of water, what happens to it? Yes, put some batter and some grease, and I put in that thing in a pan, and I'm telling you right now, woo, mm, right? <laughs> hey, it dies. Why? You take it. Uh, you take it from its source. Everything that that fish needs, its source is in the water. So when he created the vegetation and the plants, the trees, all that, he spoke to the earth. He said, let the earth bring forth vegetation. So when you take a plant or whatever out of the ground, what happens to it? It dies. Why? Because all of its source, its nutrients, its source of life is in the earth. But when he created you and I, he did not speak to the water. He didn't speak to the earth. He didn't speak to the moon, the stars, the planets, the universe. He spoke to himself and he said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. So he created you from him. So what he was saying is that your source comes from where you were created. Amen. And so uh, we see that Adam and Eve, they were uh, then formed from the dust of the earth. He formed them, and he placed them in this place called the Garden of Eden. When he placed them there, they were in his presence, um, and they were just chilling, having a good time. And then something happened. A serpent comes known as Satan comes and deceives Eve and convinces her to eat of this tree that God said not to eat of because in the midst of this garden there were two trees one was a tree of life and one was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and God said don't eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil because if you eat of it you surely will die well the serpent convinces her that if she eats of this tree that God said not to she would be just like God she was already like God why would she need to be like him She was already like him, but he convinced her. She she ate of the tree. She convinced her husband. He ate of the tree. And immediately, the scripture says that they realized that they were naked and they hid themselves and made coverings. Now, what's interesting to me about that is that they were already in a solitary place. They were in a place of solitude, protected in God's presence. And yet, as soon as they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, as soon as sin came in, They realized that they were naked, and they began to cover themselves. They were immediately taken from one state into another state, and their knowledge began to come from another source. Their knowledge, listen, they were naked before, but it was no big deal. Why? God was their covering. But now, there's a problem with being naked, and so they said this, it was interesting, um... They heard the Lord God walking in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife uh, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And I love, there was a consequence for it. And so in Genesis chapter 3, we begin to see in verse 17, it says, Then Adam, uh, then to Adam God said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it, curse is the ground for your sake, and toil you shall eat of it. All the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For dust you are. And to dust you shall return. So there's a consequence. The consequence is literally work. Everybody say Work. work. The consequence was work. I want you to see this. Before sin... Everything was provided. Everything they knew, how they knew it, all all of the source for their physical strength, everything that they needed emotionally, everything they needed spiritually, it was all provided by God. The garden didn't struggle to produce anything. Of course, God never struggles to produce anything. But everything they had was right there. But now, as a result of being disconnected from their source, they now had to work for everything that they get. And as they began to strive and work and work and work, They're doing it without God. Because they ate of this tree, now the knowledge and the way that they knew things began to come from themselves. And you do not have the ability within yourself to create life. You have to be connected to life in order to reproduce life. So now they're taken from the garden. And we want to pick up here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 22 and 24. Then God said... Behold, the man has come like one of us, they've become like one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed a cherubim at east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword, uh, which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So in this fallen state, if they had eaten of the tree of life, they would have lived forever in a fallen state. But God says, no, we're going to just block the way to life, and we're going to remove them from the garden. We're going to remove them from solitary confinement. We're going to remove them from this place of solitude where everything was provided, and we're going to take them outside from where they were taken. And now what we've done to do is try to recreate and reproduce the environment from which we were taken. So we began to look at things for providing peace. We look at things to provide safety. We look at things to provide all these things that God wants to literally be the source of our life. But we look to something else and we're working and striving to create these environments from, because we know deep inside of us there's actually a place of rest in him. A place of solitude where I can go and reflect and realize that it's not by might nor by power. It is by his spirit. Solitude. In the garden, everything was literally sustained by God. Solitude is being alone for personal growth, but being alone doesn't mean you're lonely. See, the difference between solitude is, see, loneliness comes from emptiness. Solitude is not emptiness. Solitude is being reconnected with your source and recognizing that everything you do comes from God. See, it's not about what I do for God, it's what I do from God. It's not living for God, it's living from God. I can't do this on my own. There's enough trouble in this world, there's enough enemy that comes after me, and I realize this, that if I was to try to do it on my own, how many know the enemy's a little bit smarter than I can be? So because greater is he that is in me, without that revelation right there, I can get beat up by life. But God, I love it because it's, when you serve God, it's not fair. So he says, he offers this place of rest, which is found in Hebrews chapter 4, beginning of verse 8. He says, for if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains therefore a rest. Everybody say rest. For the people of God, for he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Rest, a place of rest. How do I find this rest? Again, as I mentioned before, rest is not necessarily not doing anything. It's really reminding yourself of where you do it from. How am I doing this? How is it that I, did I just wake myself up this morning? Am I, I know I'm gifted, I'm talented, I'm beautiful and all that, but did I do that? (laughs) It's recognizing that, okay, all of my strength, all of my wisdom, all all of that comes from God. And so I rest in the fact that God did it all. And now, when I approach my day, I don't approach it from, I got to do, I got to do, I got to do. I approach it from, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? It's it's entering to this place of solitude, back to where the place that God created, where everything was provided by him and he alone. And so we look uh, at the word rest, and I want you to understand, solitude is this place of inner fulfillment. It's inner fulfillment. You see, things can be going on all around you. It can be totally chaotic around you, and yet you have solitude. You have an inner peace. It's not necessarily a place. It's a state of the heart. Solitude is a state of the heart. It's knowing that my heart is in his hands, that my life is in his hands, and if God is for me, who can be against me? It's a place that brings peace. So I find this place of of solitude. If we possess inward solitude, we do not have to fear being alone because we understand that we are never alone. The scripture says he would never leave us nor forsake us. We know that he is with us. And if he's with us, Emmanuel, God with us, that revelation alone helps us to never have to deal with, uh, uh, let's put it this way, we never have to be conquered by fear. When fear creeps up, I then connect to my source and receive his perfect love because perfect love casts out fear. See, there are things that come against you in life, and those things are designed by the enemy or whatever the case, to cause you to disconnect from God and to receive the consequences thereof, which means I got to work to get. God designed it so that you don't have to work to receive his peace. You don't have to work to receive his love. You don't have to work to receive his truth. You don't have to work to receive his power. You don't have to work for those things. He said, I give it to you. I freely give it. I came to give you life and life more abundantly. So all I have to do is reconnect to life. And when I reconnect to life, the natural thing that happens is I react and respond differently to circumstances. Because I have inner Fulfillment. Solitude. How does that happen? We begin to realize that Jesus did this. He practiced this on a regular basis. As you go through the Gospels, you see where Jesus literally would go away. He would pull himself away and go into a solitary place. To connect back to his source. Uh, In Matthew 4, uh, he spends 40 days in the wilderness before his ministry even began. In Luke chapter 6, before he chose the 12 disciples, he spent the night alone. In Matthew chapter 14, when Jesus heard about the death of John the Baptist, he withdrew to a place alone. In Matthew 14, 23, after the uh, miraculous feeding of the 5,000, Jesus and the disciples went to the hills by themselves. In Mark one thirty-five, following a long night of work in the morning, Jesus went out to a lonely place. And it goes on and on and on. And we can see where Jesus practiced this on a regular basis by taking a moment, stopping, getting silent, and recognizing the Lord is my source. Sometimes to get into a place of solitude, you have to be willing to just be quiet. But in this world, we're scared to be silent. In fact, when it gets too silent, we got to turn off the TV, turn off the radio. We're afraid of what we're going to hear. You know what that is? You're not fulfilled inside. There's something on the inside that's churning that if you listen long enough, it causes fear rather than bringing peace. You feel like, oh, I got to provide. I got to do this. If I don't do this, I don't do And you get into this struggle and this struggle. And, and God says, look, 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 look. I'm your source. I'm your source. And so sometimes you just gotta pause. I mean, and you say, okay, well, how, how do I how do I do that? Here's some steps. Because inner solitude comes from hearing God. You can't hear if you're listening to other things. If life and all of this stuff is speaking at you so loud, it's hard to hear God. So you gotta sometimes just shut it down and allow silence to come. Some of the most powerful times of prayer. That I've had was not speaking, but actually me listening. Because out of that, something miraculous happens. So watch this. Here's some steps towards solitude. Number one: take advantage of the little solitudes that fill your day. Take advantage of the little solitudes that fill your day. What does that mean? So I uh, recently, my wife and I, we just moved down to um, Bradenton, and so I was driving from Tampa, uh, the Brandon area, to Bradenton uh, every day for the last uh, nine months. And driving down that way, what was happening is I'd get in my car and I would experience solitude. There would be many times I'd want to turn on the radio, uh, listen to the Bible, do all these different things. But then I would just say, no, I'm going to connect with my source. And I would just, in silence, listen and allow God to speak. Just allow him to speak. Because I had plans that day, I had stuff on my calendar, I had a checklist, I had all this stuff, and so I would just pause. And what was amazing was that, I mean, there's a lot of crazy drivers out there, right? There's just a lot of people that just, if you're here, don't look at nobody. All right, so (laughs) driving, I had a number of opportunities to walk in the flesh. To walk in the source of the knowledge of good and evil. And make judgments on people's driving habits. And then I realized if I just pause for a moment and realize their driving is not the source of my peace. <laughs> Come on, somebody. And sometimes we forget, we forget. We, we want everybody to act a certain way because we think if they act that way, then I will be okay. I want you to know you'll be okay whether they ever change or not because they're not your source. God is your source. Why should I live my life waiting on somebody's uh, uh, life to change or their uh, habits to change? And if they change, I'll be happy. My happiness doesn't come. My happiness does not come from their change. My happiness comes from my Creator. So I reconnect to the source. So then, instead of pronouncing things, I can pronounce blessing. Bless you. Bless you. Go ahead and drive on by. God bless you your wonderful self. <laughs> God, get them there safely. Yes. On my weekdays, I say, maybe. No, I'm just, I'm just like, yes, get them there safely, God. <laughs> oh, man. So take advantage of the little solitudes that fill your day. Maybe, maybe you're here and you like to build things, uh, dads, fathers. Um, you know, Before you go, you, maybe you have a shed or something like that. My second point is to find or develop a quiet place. Find or develop a quiet place. If you have a work shed or something like that, when you go in there, before you just go building, or whatever you're about to get into, just take a couple screwdrivers, put it in the form of a cross, and look at it. You're like, God, you know what? Thank you for this ability, but I depend on your wisdom, because I know how it is, especially because us men, we don't like following directions all the time, and so when you get building something, you tend to set the directions aside and be like, "I got this." See, that's knowledge of good and evil right there. That's a great picture that you are relying on yourself. Because I do, I've, we we've been you know we moved into this home and getting all this stuff from IKEA. I can't stand IKEA uh, directions. They're directions. The furniture, you know, okay, wonderful, but they just they're directions. Just there's no words. just pictures. And you're, you spend an hour just then you finally just set it aside and say, "I got this." And then four hours later, you're like, "Where are those directions? Where did I put them? Where did I put them? So you just, you take advantage of those moments and just pause. I mean, I'm not saying necessarily you have to get away for days or weeks at a time, even though those are good, because this is what happens. In our culture today, in order to enter into this place of rest, we have to physically shut things down because we have been trained physically to respond to the ways of the world. So you have to shut down physically so that you can lock in spiritually. So that means you got to pause, because I know everybody's home is different. you got kids, all those kind of things. So if you got to get up earlier than everybody, then that's what you do. If you got to stay up a little bit later than everybody, whatever it is, just take a moment. Because there are moments in all of our days where you literally have a quiet moment, even if it's in the restroom. Glory to God. I've had a lot of solitary moments in the restroom. <laughs> all right? So real quickly. Three things, the benefits of solitude. Number one, provision. Everybody say provision. All right. In solitude, you can receive provision. There's a story about Elijah. And Elijah, is uh, he had just confronted the prophets of Baal, demonstrated that God's power is more real than his, uh, and uh, ended up killing the prophets of Baal. And now Jezebel finds out and she wants to kill him. He runs for his life, goes to a solitary place. In that solitary place, an angel shows up and gives him some cake, some angel food cake tells him to eat this cake, and you're going to need it. And so off of that angel food cake, literally, it lasted 40 days because it took him that long to get to this place that God was bringing him, and it was a cave, solitary, solitude. And then uh, God began to demonstrate himself, and, and there was fire, and there was wind, and there was earthquake, but God wasn't in any of those. It wasn't until the whisper came. And then Elijah heard the whisper, and out of that whisper came number two, direction. God gave him direction, and he says, I want you to go here. Now, he came to that place because he was afraid for his life, but it's amazing. The moment you hear from God, all fear can be removed. Courage can be built in you, and you can do the impossible. And then the third thing that happened is increased sensitivity and compassion for others. Increased sensitivity and compassion for others. In, In 1 Kings 19, 14, I love this. He said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. He was, he was very passionate about what God wanted to do. And in this crazy world, it's amazing that in light of even the tragedy that's taking place this week, the compassion that is being poured out. We as a people of God, that compassion, you can try to work that up in your own, but as believers, that compassion goes to a whole nother level. When Jesus was feeding the 5,000, they went to a solitary place. The people followed them there. Jesus was moved with compassion, the scripture says in Mark chapter 6. And as he was moved with compassion, he said, let's feed them. Provision, direction, and then you have this thing called increased sensitivity and compassion for others. I'm thankful for this place called solitude. Being reconnected to my source. Would you bow your heads with me?